Today's episode is sponsored by the Husband Material Guide by Coach R. Anthony. Listen, we have a very exciting show for you guys. You're going to want to take notes for this show. It's going to be great. Stay tuned. You're listening to Relationships and Chill, the podcast for singles and couples about how to find and cultivate the relationship you've always dreamed of based on trust and honest communication. Why waste your time going through the typical dating obstacle course only to end up with drama, jealousy, and heartbreak when you can find the love of your life and live happily ever after? So sit back, chill, and get ready to make relationships great again. Greetings, everyone. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to another edition of the Relationships and Chill podcast, the ultimate podcast for relationships and dating. I am your gracious host, Coach R. Anthony, and we have a very special guest. Valentine's is right around the corner. We have a very special guest. Our guest, special guest is a bilingual licensed mental health counselor with five years of experience. She is certified in marriage, couples, and family therapy and provides relationship education to couples and uses focused techniques to help individuals make meaningful and long-lasting changes. I want you guys to give it up for Genesis Games, the Miami therapist, y'all. Give it up. Hello, Genesis. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Listen, I love your content. Um, you know, on um, I started following you a few months ago, mm-hmm. and... Every time I every time I see your post, I you're like the person I gotta read. I gotta read your oh, post. That's you know? awesome. Thank and you so much. It means <laughs> a lot. <laughs> like for real. I'm not even just saying that because the stuff you say is is it's like it's so spot on and it makes sense because typically you have people that kind of go with the norm and what everybody else is saying. Right. You know, um, especially even if they are licensed or, you know, they, they work in, in the field, they still kind of go with, with what's popular, I, I would say, right. to try right. to win people over to them. But right. I, I like, I love your approach and how you're just like, this is the truth. Like, this is mm-hmm. how, it, how, it, how it is. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm not going to try to make you feel good about it. No. This <laughs> is the reality of it. So That's not, that's not me. Okay, there you go. <laughs> And that's what I love about you. That's what I love about your content on Instagram. Um, your Instagram is the Miami Therapist, correct? Mm-hmm. So they can um, definitely follow you on that. But I want, I want to, you know, I want to, I want the people to to get an idea of who you are and how you got started in your field. Um, so I was always kind of interested as to what leads people to act the way they do, what motivates them, um, how two people can kind of undergo the same experience and have two very different reactions. Mm-hmm. That was um, something that from a young age kind of caught my attention. And I really just wanted to understand why. Um, and then I took an AP psychology class in high school. And I, at that point, completely fell in love with psychology, with the human mind, um, with learning about how people work so I could better help them. And at that point, I knew that that was the career path that I wanted to follow. Um, and then eventually, I did my undergrad at Florida International University and psych- with my degree in psychology, um, and then went on to the University of Central Florida to do my master's in mental health counseling and get a certification in couples, family um, therapy. 
And in my time there, I worked at the Marriage and Family Research Institute um, providing relationship education to couples. And at that point, I was like sold on couples. Um, I, I realized that to really make an impact in families, make an impact in individuals, you, you need to target that couple component. Um, and so from that point on, I, that was it. I was old. You were sold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what What about it? Um. What about it made you sold? Uh. Just the dynamic of how people come together, or how, what made you say, you know, like this is me. This is this is what I want to do. This is it. Well, I think we're all wired to have strong emotional bonds with people in our lives, not just romantically, um, although romantically is important, but in general, we're bond, we're created to be, to have those bonds in our lives. And when there's issues forming these bonds, which often happens, that creates big scars in us. And that takes some healing, some proactivity to be able to heal. And when we don't heal effectively, then that often damages future bonds that we want to create with people. And so it's not about you know, he's bad, she's good, they're a mismatch. It's truly about not being, not having the tools, not having a role model, not having the know-how to create these deep, long-lasting emotional bonds. And in that miscommunication or in that um, really not knowing how to ask and how to form what you want to form, there's a lot of hurt that happens. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of love that goes lost. And so I really just wanted to learn the how-to, the science behind it so that I can help couples or help individuals who want to be in relationships, help couples who are struggling, um, be able to create and maintain those strong bonds. Um, because again, that's what that's what we're created for. That's what we're wired for. And when we don't have that, it truly impacts um, our functioning and our quality of life. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I agree. Um, so that's 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 what drew you to yeah. that. And and you made a point because I know I know on one of your posts or you're doing a series of posts right now mm-hmm. on attachment theory and how like the way the the and I, I want you obviously to explain more about it. But yeah. I'm just trying to formulate the way that we develop our our styles of attachment affects Mm -hmm. the type of relationships that we have going Mm -hmm. forward. So from the time we were a child, we started to develop certain types of styles, am I correct? Mm -hmm. On Mm -hmm. how we attach to people. Can you tell us more about the, the, the styles for one thing and what they mean to our relationships going forward? Absolutely. Um, so lately there, has been, I would say in the last couple of years, a lot of research on attachment theory. Um, And really what attachment theory says is that we all have an attachment system because again, we're hardwired to create emotional bonds with people in our lives. Again, not just romantic bonds, but just emotional bonds in general with people in our lives. Um, So we seek that, our brain seeks that, expects that to happen. And so when we are children, that's kind of the beginning of it all. And so we are expected our brain expects to create these attachment bonds with our caregivers whether that's mom dad that's grandma that's uncle that's aunt whoever whoever is that group of people that are kind of being very influential in our growing up raising process right it's not just mom and dad um, but it's really that group of people that impacts us all together right and the relationship that we have with them the closer they are to us the bigger the impact of course Right. Um, And so the idea is that no one, I mean, no human being can perfectly meet another human being's needs 100% of the time because we're human beings. 
So it doesn't matter how amazing your parents or your caregivers were when you were growing up. At some point, they failed you because they're humans. Right. And so it's that collection of events or situations in which they failed you that can then lead to developing some of these attachment styles. Um, maybe they were pretty on point and pretty in tune with your particular needs. And it wasn't your caregivers and ones um, that really created an insecure attachment style, which are the attachment styles that are problematic. We have secure. It's a healthy attachment style. And then we have three different types of insecure attachment styles. Again, insecure attachment styles being the problematic ones. Yep. Um, but maybe growing up, maybe, you know, when you were in high school, maybe, you know, you got your heart broken the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that was the experience that changed your attachment style. Attachment styles can be changed and can be altered throughout our lifetime. So it really? might have maybe it wasn't even um, in high school. Maybe it was later, later on in college or as a young adult, you had your first you know, formal, real, loving relationship, and maybe you were betrayed, and maybe there was some infidelity involved, and now um, this insecure attachment style might develop. So it's something that is changes throughout our lifetime, depending on our experiences. Um, once we have developed an attachment style, though, it takes something big to change it. So okay. say that um, maybe my initial attachment style was anxious anxious attachment style, it's going to take me being proactive to be able to heal that and move towards a secure attachment style. Mm -hmm. The same way that if initially I had a secure attachment style, it would take a big life event, a big kind of rupture in an emotional bond that was very um, dear and important to me to then move to an insecure attachment style. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it makes sense. So, wow. So there, you can change your attachment Absolutely. style. Right. But it takes a major event. Give it, give me some examples of, of major events, like a heartbreak. What, what else? Like a could could could. So for example, a case where, you know, there is infidelity and, you know, it, not because we're in relationships. Does it mean that we have these, these strong emotional bonds? Right. It's like with friends. There's friends that we're really close to. And then there's friends that are more of acquaintances and we don't have this great emotional attachment to. And then there's friends that, again, we're close to them and they're like family. So just because we're in relationships, it doesn't mean that we have a huge attachment to the person. Right. We might be in relationships for many different reasons and for and under many different circumstances. So it would take, you know, someone that you're truly in love with, someone that you truly have a strong emotional bond to portray you, to lie to you, um, to maybe just end things and not end them in a messy way without maybe giving you explanation or closure to then create that insecurity. Um, mm. But there might also be, you know, some emotional neglect growing up in, in your family of origin where maybe your emotions weren't heard or validated, um, where you weren't paid a lot of attention, where maybe you felt like you had to grow up really fast because you kind of had to take care of yourself and had to take care of maybe a parent or take care of your siblings um, and weren't just given the attention and the nurturing that you deserved as a child. Mm -hmm. And that affects how you how you move going forward. And then so it could potentially get worse for an individual. Absolutely. And then they kind of spiral into a perpetual cycle of. Absolutely. Wow, wow. It becomes this vicious cycle um, because, I mean, think about it. Let's say that I, I can't. So basically, if I'm creating an insecure attachment style, whichever type it is, um, I don't trust that other people 
are able to meet my needs, right? right? There's kind of this, this underlying belief that for whatever reason, maybe because I'm not good enough, maybe because I'm not lovable, maybe because I feel like I'm damaged in some way. Um, I can't really trust other people in my life um, to meet my needs and to have my best, like my best interest in mind. So that's kind of the mind frame that I'm going to in relationships, which means I'm either being very, very guarded because I'm afraid that someone else is going to hurt me, that it's going to invade my space, that I'm going to lose control, that I'm going to be engulfed by them. Or it's kind of the opposite where I feel like I need to give, 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 and kind of chase the other person and kind of have the other person almost hostage, right? Um, Because they might leave. Like if they figure out I'm damaged goods, they're going to leave. So I have to do everything possible in in what I can do um, to keep them believing that I'm amazing and that they need me and and to kind of keep them, I guess hostage is a little bit intense, um, but just keep them by my side and convince that I'm amazing. And so that in itself can create great anxiety if you feel like you always have to be amazing because Mm -hmm. we're not, we're humans. And and part of our humanness to make mistakes and to not be great all the time right but but that would kind of kind of um that kind of causes like a a a train a moving train and you know how hard it is to stop it once it's like in full motion it's hard to stop that like so I'm, i'm curious to know how does a person without a major event happening say hey you know this is this is a problem that i've had I don't know how to stop it. So how do they start to, to, to angle themselves and direct themselves towards a more, I guess I'm going to use the term healthier mm-hmm. uh, attachment style. How do they, how do they start the process of moving towards a healthier attachment style? So it truly takes self-awareness and it's usually these negative events that create that self-awareness. Right. Um, so I think it, it's kind of hard if there hasn't been, you know, if they can't realize that there's been these negative events. So if the relationships are not working or they're in these relationships, but they're miserable, um, hopefully that would elicit that kind of level of self-awareness, like, hey, there's something going on. And, you know, maybe the common denominator in all of this is me. Because a lot of times we go into self-blame mode, or not self-blame mode, but actually blaming the other person when relationships don't work. And so we often say, well, you know, I just have bad luck. You know, it's just men are terrible or women are terrible. Um, And we go into blame mode and not really to analyze what's, what's going on. And so if I've had a pattern of relationships that I don't feel um, were fulfilling or ended really poorly, not good relationships, I need to understand that the common denominator is me. Mm -hmm. They've all been different partners, right? They may have some patterns, there might have some trends, but truly the common denominator is me. So I'm the one seeking out these partners and and engaging in these relationships. And so that's where the self-work really comes into play. Um, How am I going to heal myself um, so that I don't continue to attract these partners and see myself in these relationships over and over when it feels like it's a movie that's on replay constantly? Absolutely. So now here's the thing. Uh, like you said, it, it, it kind of goes back to childhood and yeah, how we most of the time. Yeah, most of, you said most of the time, right? Yeah. OK, so let's say that most of the times it goes back unless there was a tragic event that happened. You know, I would I would think that it would kind of have to start by reassessing, you know, how you view either your parents or your, you know, your mm-hmm. what you what, what you experienced as a child with, with, with whoever your parents your grandparents or mm-hmm. whoever um to get a because i know 
I know for me also, it's hard to remember a lot of the mm-hmm. details from childhood. You know what I mean? So it's hard to say this happened, that created this, and and how it affected it. Because even if you connect what happened to your childhood to the first major event, it kind of ties into it. You know, because mm-hmm. it's it's like you progressively move towards something, and then when this thing happens, boom. Now what happens next is I start to lean more into whatever style, you know, whichever style um, is my style currently or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to, um, so even from there, so it could be multiple different, is it possible to have multiple attachment styles? Because there are times when uh, like a relationship fails or whatever, that Mm -hmm. people will say, they will blame the person at first. And then Mm -hmm. they start to, you know, it's like, stages of grief i guess you know where you go through you know blaming them then you start blaming it blaming yourself and point and like you feel like i'm never gonna be worth it or what whatever so is there a is there a combination of the different elements and how hard is that to to dissect i guess from your perspective yeah so someone is only gonna have one attachment style at a time So, and I like to think of attachment styles kind of like on a spectrum. Um, So if we kind of looked at the different, you know, descriptions of all the different attachment styles very carefully, we could probably all check some off in all the different attachment styles. Um, But it's truly the one where you're leaning more towards. So for example, someone may have an anxious attachment style, but do the self-work, do all the analyzing, work on themselves, heal those wounds from childhood, from later on in life, all that good stuff. And they can move to a more secure attachment style, right? That doesn't mean that some of that anxiety or some of those things may not come up from time to time, but for the most part, they're able to stay grounded in themselves and kind of be more in a secure base. But there's definitely one attachment style um, at a time. That's more dominant, right? So one would be more exactly. dominant. And, and you may have little traits of the other one, correct? Yes. The exception is we do have what we called um, kind of a disorganized attachment style, which that's a, that's a combination of avoidant attachment style and anxious attachment style. And basically what that looks like is that the, a person that would have this attachment style um, will seek out their partner and will seek out to connect to their partner. And they can often seem like very intense. So maybe like they're, it's the initial stages of a relationship and they're already talking about the future and they're talking about the kids they want to have together. So it's someone um, who's really seeking this connection. This is something that is really important to them. It might come out, again, a little bit intense maybe at the beginning. Um, and then when the other partner kind of says like, okay, like I like this, let's do this. And, and, and kind of meets that person where they're at, right. they kind of freak out because they don't know what to do with that. Um, they're not used to having that emotional connection, although that is what they crave. Right. So then they distance themselves. And so wow. they do something to kind of distance themselves and create kind of a wedge in the relationship that can mean many things that can mean um avoiding time with their partner and blaming it on work um that can mean cheating um that can mean you know taking steps back so let's say that you know they agreed to moving in together then maybe last minute they say hey no they come up with some silly Mm, excuse um to kind of take that back and again create that wedge then when there's that period of kind of separation and and in lack of connection, they begin to feel anxious again and seek that connection. And so it can be really this back and forth um, that can be very confusing and very difficult for the other person. Right. I see. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the one exception where you can have a bit of both. 
in one person. Well, I know a few people like that then. Um, I'm sure we all have, like I said, a certain traits of, of each. If yeah. we were to really look mm-hmm. into it, we can classify mm-hmm. ourselves in, in whichever one. So I think that's that's um, I think that's very, very interesting. Um, another thing, because even with that, it's easy to like you said, point the blame at somebody else and say they're this and they're that. And so right now, like now at this time, there's a there's this there's this term that's very popular. And you talked about this on your on one of your lives on Instagram. You talked about how people label people mm-hmm. as narcissistic, mm-hmm. but they have not been actually diagnosed as that. Mm-hmm. So I want you to t- I want you to talk more about it because people love to label other people. Yes based on what they believe they want to, to so they can blame them so they can detach themselves yeah. from them so i want you to talk a little bit about the narcissistic trend so to speak mm-hmm. yes um so that's something that i'm very passionate about because i think you know i think labels are important in that sometimes it can be really helpful to know that you're not the only one experiencing something right. and that there's more people out there in the world that have a shared experience with you mm-hmm. that can be very normalizing and that can really help people to seek help right it just helps people kind of better understand what's going on with themselves when they're used correctly but when we just start labeling people like you said to take off the responsibility or the blame off me and just cast it on someone else and to really be in a way um it's a form of discrimination really and it's a form of looking down on someone then i'm really not not okay with that and so narcissistic personality disorder is a diagnosis that you can find on the dsm and the dsm is basically like um, our Bible that we use to diagnose people. And so you would find anything from, you know, substance abuse to depression to PTSD. And then you would find narcissistic personality disorder as well. And now for someone to be diagnosed with any form of diagnosis, they have to meet a certain criteria for a certain amount of time to then be said um, that they have that diagnosis because they've met quite one criteria or two throughout their life right? That's not enough to say that that person meets a specific thing. For example, we all have low mood every once in a while. We all sometimes just like wake up and don't want to get out of bed. Now that doesn't mean that we suffer from major depression, right? Right. That's just one symptom of major depression that we all can experience at certain points in our lives. But that in itself doesn't mean that we suffer from major depression. And so I think this trend, like you said, is that there's a lot of articles out there and quizzes out there and things sometimes written by professionals, which really irks me um, about how there's um, pointing fingers again to people that may or may not have narcissistic personality disorder, kind of putting them as your Satan, like, you know, really demonizing them um, and taking out the part that this is a disorder like anything else. Um, like depression, like substance abuse, like PTSD. Um, You wouldn't go around demonizing someone that's suffering from PTSD because um, they experienced some terrific, um, horrific, sorry, trauma in their life, Mm. right? You you wouldn't go around saying that. Um, However, there's this trend that is happening with people with supposedly narcissistic personality disorder. And again, I say supposedly because people writing these articles or making these quizzes or putting these posts off on Instagram and in different areas of social media haven't met these people. They're just making assumptions um, that someone might be narcissistic because of a specific behavior. Right, right, right. Okay. Wow. Um, So that, that ties, well, I guess one could tie that in like how, how we were talking about, um, attachments how we 
Mm-hmm. We try to fit in. I would I would imagine under one of the categories, like we try to fit in and, and try mm-hmm. to and try to say, well, yeah, I this that happened to me too. Um, mm-hmm. That this person I was with was doing this X Y Z, and so they're that they're mm-hmm. a nar- narcissist mm-hmm. or they're this or they're that. So mm-hmm. it, it's very important to, you know, like you said, go back to the attachment and realize that we might be lacking something within ourselves that causes us to to label and like you said demonize someone else based on what we ourselves have Mm -hmm. not dealt with Mm -hmm. you know like not going and and looking and doing doing the work the self-work and understanding more about yourself and why you even attracted that person in the first place absolutely and so even with all the personality disorders narcissistic is not the only one Mm -hmm. um First of all, it has to be pervasive. So it has to be across like the lifespan, starting in early adulthood, probably late teens to early adulthood. And it has to be pervasive in their life. So it's not just because this happened with X person mm-hmm. in one specific relationship. It has to be something that you're able to see, again, as cycles and patterns throughout their different relationships with different people, not just romantic relationships, right. but in general. Right. Um, and it has to be very consistent. So even as a therapist, um, I I don't think I've ever um, diagnosed someone with any personality disorder because I'm usually meeting them for a brief period of their life, like for a season in their life. Mm -hmm. And that's not truly enough for me to really be able to know and say with certainty that they have a personality disorder, regardless of you know whether they do meet criteria to the T or they don't, they just have some aspects of it. Um, you know what research tells us is that the base or the core of all personality disorders is trauma, and it goes like you said back to attachment and back to childhood, and it's truly um, having experience um, a traumatic experience experiences usually you know abuse, intense abuse, or even emotional neglect. Um, in childhood and finding this as coping mechanisms to survive. And so back then in childhood, whatever they're doing now that is dysfunctional was functional right. in the environment and in the context that they were in. They just haven't learned how to turn that off because in the context that they're in now, that's not needed. And that's actually causing them harm and And so the therapeutic aspect of it, I guess, would be helping them see that what was functional then and help them survive is not helping them thrive now. And it's causing them pain and and more hurt, Mm -hmm. right? Helping them see that, helping them gain the skills that they need to no longer engage in that. So you might come across people that truly meet criteria for personality disorders in your life in one way or another. Um, But I think the important thing to remember is that they are affected by their trauma and that they're in a lot of pain. And although it might not always seem like that because your behaviors can be be so painful and so damaging to those around them, it still does not negate the fact that they're in pain and that they've gone through severe trauma. And so this doesn't mean that you have to stay in relationships with them, especially if they're not seeking help, especially if your well-being and your safety is in danger. But I think that even in someone's own process of healing, who's maybe going through a separation from someone that has a personality disorder, it's important for them to know that it's not about them. It's about the pain that person's in. Right. 
Um, and, and that can help want someone exiting a relationship, just kind of heal themselves knowing it's not, there's something wrong with me. It's not that I deserved what happened to me. It just happens to be that this person has their own thing going on, their own pain, their own trauma they need to work on. Um, and again, it's not about me. Right. And, and it's, it's so easy. It is, it's really easy to blame someone, but I guess what I'm saying is you can't really you know, label someone or especially like with a with a term like that, because that's a professional term. So right. if, if, if professionals like yourself aren't labeling just anybody that term, then how in the world could the casual dater or relationship mm-hmm. person <laughs> just say, hey, you're you're this you're a narcissist mm-hmm. because I read an article online that told me that that a mm-hmm. narcissist does this. And like you said, it may just be little bit here and there maybe in this particular season or it could be something deeper so that's why they should um definitely if it's something so how how long should it go on before a person decides to seek outside help to say okay we have this issue going on which Mm -hmm. you know that's where you come in so at what point will they need to start seeking outside expertise So I think, you know, it should be sooner rather than later, because a lot of times what will happen is that I'll have couples that, you know, maybe have been together for 10 years, but the, you know, the last six or seven years have been terrible. Mm -hmm. Right. And so at that point, there's just so much resentment and so much pain that has been stored and harbored that it's really not impossible, but just really hard to get past that because, you know, it's like the the perspective, the positive perspective of the relationship that should have been there, that was there maybe at one point in time has completely eroded. Mm. So I always think that the sooner is the better. So if you, if you're feeling that there's something off about your relationship, there's something um, that you feel uncomfortable with and that you're not able to really have an open dialogue with your partner because it always ends up in explosive fights. Um, where, you know, it's just never gets resolved. You never come to a compromise about it. Um, you feel that there's just something that's a mismatch. Um, but it's not, you know, your physical safety is not in danger. Because if your physical safety is in danger, then that's a whole different right. thing, right? right? But if you're physically safe and you're just feeling like you're having a hard time being emotionally in tune with your partner, their partner's having a hard time being emotionally in tune with you, um, then that's the time to seek help. That's the time to kind of learn what you need to learn, the tools, the science behind it so that you can succeed. Um, and you don't have to go and endure years of pain, suffering um, for, for no reason when the help is available um, as soon as you need it, as soon as you feel that things are getting out of hand and that you're kind of finding yourself in a cycle. Again, it's almost like you're replaying a movie. It's a different day. It's a different week. It's a different month, maybe even a different year, but it's kind of the same situations that keep arising, the same kind of arguments. You can finish each other's sentences because it always goes the same way. Mm. If you're finding yourself stuck in that, you want to get out of that pattern as soon as possible before um, your feelings and perspective of the relationship and your partners become um, truly eroded and damaged. And then the disconnection happens. Exactly. Or the that disconnection gets happening. bigger. Right. Oh, yeah, it gets bigger. So it's already been happening. Exactly. It just. So we're going to go ahead. We're, we're about to take a break. We'll be back with more with Genesis Game, the Miami Therapist. We're going to go talk more about the tools that couples need to succeed mm-hmm. in their relationship. So you guys stay tuned. 
Ladies, if you're like most women going through the dating process, then you know that finding the right man can be very difficult. With so many men out there playing dating games, looking for women to add as notches under their belts, it can seem hopeless. The Husband Material Guide, written by yours truly, Coach R. Anthony, was written to help you to be able to distinguish between the type of guys to take serious and the type of guys to avoid, saving you both time and emotional distress. So if you're tired of learning about men and dating the hard way, then go to relationshipsandchill.com forward slash the Husband Material Guide, pre-order now and save $5. All right, you guys, we are back with Genesis Games, the Miami therapist, and uh, we, we're going to talk more about the tools that are necessary to developing a good single experience a good while you're out dating, mm-hmm. a good dating experience, and also your relationships. How do we take the relationship to the next level? So first, I want to start off with singles. What are some of the primary mental shifts that a person can take? Let's say they continuously find themselves in relationships that are kind of, you know, they lead to nowhere, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so we talked about the attachment theory and, and mm-hmm. how that affects everything. But what are some what are some shifts and, and tools that they need to start breaking themselves out of their pattern? They want something different. How do mm-hmm. we start to move them in that direction to where they, they can start? attracting or seeking a better candidate, so to speak, for mm-hmm. their for, to be in a relationship with? So I think, the, so I kind of have two answers for that. I think the main, the first one and most general one is that you kind of need to be the best version of yourself. And you really need to feel content with who you are as a person in any moment in time. And so that's really kind of reflecting at where your life is at at this point in your life. Um, are you happy with your career? Are you happy with your job? Are you, you know, doing what you like? Are you working towards what you want to do? Do you find meaning and purpose in that? Um, how's your physical health? You know, are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking vitamins, medications, going to your regular checkups, sleeping well, eating well? Are you getting movement in your body? That's really important. Um, Emotionally, how are you doing? Like, are you struggling with anxiety? Are you struggling with depression? Are you struggling to verbalize your emotions to other people in your life, to express needs to other people in your life? How are those boundaries with the closest people in your life? And again, this is not just romantically, but these are just your overall relationships, family, close friends, etc. Right? Um, how are you doing as far as, you know, spiritual, we're, we're spiritual beings. And I think that's one aspect that a lot of times we forget about is how are we doing spiritually? Are we living a life um, with purpose and with meaning? Or are we just kind of like going through the motions, not really having some sort of guide or compass? Um, so I think we really need to look at our lives and see how can we improve each of these areas, mm. right? And make conscious effort to work on that. And that's part of, you know, that self If I want to attract people that are of quality in my life, and that's obviously going to be different for everyone. But if I want to attract people of quality into my life, then I have to be that person of quality. And I need to believe that I am that person because we might be that a person of quality, um, whatever we deem that quality to be, um, but not truly feel it. 
Mm. So there has to be a connection between the two. And then if, you know, my kind of my second answer to that would be coming more from an attachment perspective. And so at that point, like when we're meeting people, um, we need to be aware of red flags and we need to take red flags as deal breakers. So if, you know, if we're getting mixed signals from the other person consistently and we bring it up and we tell them like, hey, I'm confused. I'm not sure where I stand with you, you know. One day you say something, the next day you act a different way. And they continue to do this despite the fact that we've brought it up and we've, you know, kind of started a dialogue about it. This doesn't change, then that has to be a deal breaker. Right. Right. Um, we need to be very kind of have very um defined boundaries as to what we're willing to tolerate and we're not willing to tolerate. And keeping in mind that no one is perfect and that no one is going to meet our needs and be in their best behavior 100% of the time. So it's kind of like this blurry line that we're trying to, to walk in between um, because we have to be real about the fact that we're all humans and imperfect, right? But we also have to be very clear on what we're not willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. Because also when we begin to make those boundaries too relaxed and we begin to make exceptions and excuses for people, it becomes like a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. It starts with something small and kind of continues to carry on. And then before you know it, you're in this relationship with someone where there's a lot of things going on that you don't feel okay with and that don't make you feel comfortable. However, you're deep into this relationship at this point. And then it makes it a lot more difficult to leave because now you have emotions. Mm -hmm. You have a history, right? Um, so you want to be very careful with those red flags. You also want to communicate your needs effectively from the get-go. Right. Um, you want to communicate what you're looking for in the relationship, what's important to you. You want to, you know, if maybe for you it's important, let's say, for example, having kids, maybe you don't want to have kids. And that's something that you're very um, certain about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you want to have that conversation early on and let the other person know, like, hey, that's having kids being a parent. It's not something that I'm going to do. It's not something that I'm going to change my mind about. Um, and if they're OK with that, cool. But if they're very adamant about wanting to have a family and that's a big dream of theirs, then that's something that's probably going to be a deal breaker. Right. And that's something that we want to discuss early on rather than seven years into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So from day one, you know, if you are someone that needs to be, for example, um, have a lot of contact with your significant other, you need, you know, you want texts or you want phone calls throughout the day, you want to check in with them, it's important for you to spend quality time with them, then that's something you want to make clear from the beginning in the relationship, because some people um, are not naturally inclined to give that much attention or affection, they function just well without that much of it, right? And it's not that that it's too much or it's too little or there's something wrong with someone. It's just we all have different preferences. But it's important to verbalize those present preferences from the beginning instead of just keeping them as expectations that we're not talking about. Because it doesn't matter how in love someone is with you or for however long you've been together, they're not mind beaters. Mm -hmm, right. So they cannot they cannot possibly read your mind and what you need and what your expectations are. So it's our responsibility to verbalize our expectations and verbalize our needs. And the sooner we do that, then we're setting ourselves for success. If that person does not meet our expectations, does not meet our needs, um, then we vet them out and we don't waste time on someone um, that's just not going to be a good fit for us. Wow. So I have a lot of thoughts now. Uh, because mm -hmm. now, but even with that preferences and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be attached to our attachment style? So meaning that I can have 
these preferences based on what I did not get. So it could kind of be an yeah. unhealthy attachment that I'm desiring uh, based on my style, based on what I, I desire that I have not gotten. So, you know, it's it's tough to distinguish between a preference and a desire because of X, Y, Z, because I don't mm-hmm. have, and it could be buried for so many years that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're constantly seeking this thing that you haven't gotten. So you're, you're making mm-hmm. even more barriers because now mm-hmm. you, you don't want to become emotionally involved. But mm-hmm. what I've learned is people can pick up on energy, especially if, especially like let's say a man and a woman if a man realizes that a woman needs xyz mm-hmm. amount of attention takes so he will do that initially because he knows that's what she's desiring mm-hmm. so he'll mm-hmm. do that right initially but over time it starts to so he's already in the emotions have been developed but over mm-hmm. time he starts to sink back into his original thing which is the original attachment issue that the woman has mm-hmm. um so- go ahead yeah, so I think that's why it's important that we communicate very clearly and then that we just observe and sit back and see how the other person reacts, right? Um, and that we kind of keep note of people's reactions across time. Because like you said, at the beginning, you know, and it's that infatuation phase where we want to be in our best behaviors, we want to really um, just, you know, gravitate to that person, make that person happy, we want to be together all the time. And we want to give that good impression. But once we feel we have that person that the love is there, the emotions are there, and that that person is unlikely to go somewhere else, because now we have this, you know, this attachment, we have this emotional bond in place, then a lot of times, both men and women will revert back to whatever is more comfortable to them or more natural to them. And so I think that's where it's really important that we are kind of observant of how the other person across time um, responds to our needs and then make note of that and make decisions based on that. But that's tough because then you move into, well, nobody's perfect. So now we have that issue too. So nobody's perfect. So now how do, how do I navigate within this person's imperfections? Because now the real person is, is there. So how do I navigate now that I realize the true imperfections of this person, quote unquote? So we, you know, we can all have like a 50 pages of preferences that we want to have for a significant other. The idea is that there should be just a handful that are kind of deal breakers for you. Right. And that, again, that's going to vary from person to person, because, you know, for some people, it might be children. For some people, it might be spirituality. For some people, it might be more career related, um, that kind of stuff, personality things. So that's going to vary from person to person. There is no right or wrong, but there should definitely be a handful that are deal breakers. And so those are kind of the ones that from the moment that that comes up and we talk about it and I see that we're not on the same page. I'm not going to continue something that I know um, it's not headed anywhere. Right. right? Uh, But then the other ones is more about having conversations and seeing the effort that the other person is putting. So again, we're not perfect and we're not all going to be able to satisfy each other's needs a hundred percent of the time. So we kind of have to have some grace for the other person. But I think it's different when you see that the person puts effort consistently. So for example, let's say that, you know, for some, let's say like, for example, for me, it's important to kind of, um, stay in contact with my significant other because, you know, I, I want to feel like they're thinking about me even if we're not physically together, right? And so maybe for my significant other, that's not that important. Like they know they're thinking about me, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not really that important for them. They're okay with maybe just getting together at the end of the day and, and that's enough for them. But if I talk to them and I explain to them that this is a need that I have so that I can feel safe and secure in the relationship, 
they take that in and they truly digest it, then they're going to make an effort to stay in contact. They're going to make an effort to maybe text throughout the day, call throughout the day just to kind of check in and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day going? Are you good? You know, that kind of stuff. So I'm going to see that effort. Now, there might be a day or two where they kind of um, lax because of stress, because of outside sources. So that doesn't mean I'm going to go and run for the woods because of that. Because what I've seen is that most days are not, they make the effort to do something that doesn't come naturally to them. Right. So I think we need to focus on effort and we need to focus on that consistency base and on the fact that they're okay having these conversations. They're okay to be reminded, hey, I need more of this. Please remember. They don't, you know, they don't become defensive. They don't, they don't make a big deal about it. They kind of listen to it and try to provide that to the best of their abilities. It's not always going to be a hundred percent, but it's again focusing on that effort. Now, again, the things that we want to stay away from is that handful of deal breakers that are simply a no-no. That is something that's non-negotiable that we can't really arrive to a compromise about. And then again, if you're feeling like you don't know where you're standing in that relationship because there's just so many mixed things right um then that's a that's also a big one to know um if it seems like one day everything is going really fine and the person's really committed and then the next day you know they're having cold feet or um they may have some unfinished business from previous relationships where they're constantly um talking about their exes talking about their previous relationships maybe still in contact with their exes um for whatever reason um if that just makes you feel uncomfortable and makes you feel like the reason why this contact is, is there is because there's unfinished business, then those are some other things to look for because it means that this person probably has an insecure attachment style and hasn't really worked on it, is not probably not aware that they do and are going to continue to kind of have these patterns of behaviors throughout your relationship unless um, you seek help as right. a couple. Absolutely. So, I mean, that I, I was... You know, for a single person, I think you have to have the right mentality when it comes mm-hmm. to that. It's going to require work. Nobody is going to come in. They may they may approach you perfect, quote unquote, or, you know, they may approach you a certain kind of way. But I think to be realistic is to to say, OK, this person eventually is going to be someone different. I'm going to look at them different. How I feel right mm-hmm. now is not how I'm going to feel in a year or three mm-hmm. weeks from now how mm-hmm. i felt five years ago is not how i feel now so it's going to change so let me be more realistic and neutral so i i, I always preach neutrality i always uh, i always preach um to not have expectations as you meet people you can have your expectations within yourself and what you desire and all that kind of stuff but when you meet people you have to allow them to present who they truly are mm-hmm. and that requires a neutral position meaning that because you can be so enamored with how a person looks or what they say that you Mm -hmm. get caught up in the idea of who they could be for you Mm -hmm. and then the Mm -hmm. idea is what causes you to say yes when you should have said no or no when you should have said yes so um that that neutrality is what is how I always you know tell my the people that I work with to just approach it with and like you said be patient. That's the main thing. Like that was, mm-hmm. that's like the biggest thing mm-hmm. cuz people especially like now with Valentine's coming up this week, um mm-hmm. people want to they want that feeling or that 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 look of like I'm so in love, I got it all figured mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. that you know that they move into relationships so fast that mm-hmm. they don't take the time to to possibly look at the end outcome of how it might potentially end. Exactly. And 
they they don't look at the consistency over time. They don't allow themselves to view a person mm-hmm. over t- over a period of time. So that's mm-hmm. very important. Um, but now for because like I said, with the holiday <laughs> coming up, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, uh, so many people get caught up in, like I said, trying to move into a false love. I w- I'm gonna call it false love because mm-hmm. it's not. It, it you know I when I was <laughs> before I used to date this young lady. And she made me an ultimatum. She was like, either you marry me. Now, we had been together maybe six months, but we wasn't having sex. So, you know, that was like the big thing. She was trying to get it in. So, Mm -hmm. but she was like, either you marry me or I got to find somebody who will. Right. So I was Mm -hmm. like, well, I think you need to go ahead and find somebody who will. Mm Because it's only been like six months and, you know, we're still like in the the beginning phase of it. It's, It's not time for that. We're still getting to know each other. We're still filling each other out. And, you know, but we kept telling ourselves, and this is what I'm getting to. We kept telling ourselves that, well, p- before I was like, I- I'm going to marry my best friend. That's who I want to marry. Like the person that's mm-hmm. my best friend. Same thing with her. So we started telling ourselves we're each other's best friends, even though we hadn't developed the true, you know, friendship. It was just like you have to tell yourself that in order to believe that so that you can feel comfortable moving to the next levels. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with the holiday coming up, People try to get and move too fast into things by telling themselves that this person is what I truly believe they are. And the per- other person is telling them the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I've no- I noticed that around this time of the year and for couples, too, and we'll get into that next. Yeah. But but for singles, they try to move too fast too too forward into things that ultimately don't pan out. But I'm curious to I'm curious because also and I forgot to mention that. Now you help you you got to pronounce this for me all all acculturation acculturation there you go (laughs) bingo bingo acculturation right um Mm -hmm. is is basically like acclimating yourself to a different Mm -hmm. environment especially like within a relationship and and just Mm kind of filling yourself out but i think and this is where i want want you relationships can be a form of the word acculturation. So, there you go. <laughs> it could be a form of that. It's like moving into a new country. So how you? Uh, so I'm I'm curious to know how you approach that process, and how that is similar to getting into a relationship. Yes. Um. So when we talk about acculturation, we typically talk about someone um who's moving me from a small town to a big city, or who's moving from one country to another, and so they're kind of leaving behind their traditions, their beliefs, their family, their life as they knew it until the point that they arrived to this new place, right? And basically leaving behind who they were as a whole, mm. and then coming into this new place and having to function in this new place, having to find a job, having to start school in this new place, having to make friends in this new place. And so to be able to function in this new place, they need to be able to one, speak the language of, you know, if the language is different. Um, even if they do speak the same language, there's probably going to be some slang terms <laughs> um, that are colloquial to specific areas. So they kind of need to kind of learn those a bit to get around. Um, they need to learn the culture, the traditions, the beliefs what's socially acceptable what's not socially acceptable um and so in that that process looks different for everybody the idea is not that someone completely assimilates to their new country or their new city and just kind of takes in all the new stuff and completely forgets about who they were before the healthy thing is that there's kind of a blend of the two 
there might still be traditions, beliefs, and, and parts of their culture that are applicable and that are functional in this new place that they're living and that they can bring with them. Um, and then there might be some things about the new culture they really don't need to engage in. And if they don't, it's not going to have a big impact. And then things that are important that they do need to engage in. And then what we want to create is that blending. Um, and truly what I believe is that, it, you know, every relationship is, in a, is a cultural, it's a multicultural experience um, because you have people that come from two different households who had two very different upbringings because different people created them and raised them. Um, and then now they're trying to come together and kind of form their own tradition, their own culture, their own atmosphere, their own ambience. Um, and to be able to do that, there has to be a lot of self-awareness from each individual and then a lot of communication. Because again, a lot of love is lost in miscommunication and not being able to verbalize our needs, our expectations, our wants, um, and even our disappointments, not being able to talk about these things because one, we don't feel emotionally safe. We feel invalidated. Um, the other person maybe takes high offense to things and, and we don't want to hurt their feelings. So we keep some of these things inside. Um, it's so important to have that communication and to approach these situations that may arise that might feel uncomfortable um, from a stance of curiosity. Instead of pointing fingers, instead of trying to hold on to my truth to dear life, right? Um, really leaning in with curiosity and wondering, you know, why did they react that way? What would make them think that that was my intention when my intention was completely opposite? Really with curiosity, trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes and trying to see things from their perspective. Because most of the time, um, if we're able to do that, things are going to make sense from their perspective. It doesn't mean that they're right. Sometimes you're not going to be right. Um, it doesn't mean that we 100% agree, but it means that if we put them, ourselves in their shoes, in the context in which things happen, it can make sense why someone would react or think in a specific way. You know, for a lot of people, that's hard to do because yeah. they, they've gotten so enamored. And I think it goes back to the acculturation of, mm -hmm. of the two because they they either don't feel like they blended well within the new country or like I'm using it as a country, but yeah. within the relationship, they don't feel like they blend it well, meaning that the other person now has kind of like started to stonewall them and not let them in and mm -hmm. allow them to to express who they are so that they can take into consideration and allow them in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, those dynamics can be difficult to break on their own. Again, it takes being very intentional um, about what's going on and having self-awareness. And that's where therapy can really help is to have this outside expert um, that is trained to see these dynamics and is trained to see these patterns and then knows the science behind it to break them, um, kind of give you the tools and coach you in the process because it can it can be difficult to see these things in the midst of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree. It could be very difficult to, to, to see how even a way out, you know, because, you yeah. know, people get so caught up in it and they, they think it'll never change. And even if they try mm -hmm. to make changes, it, it reverts back to what they're most comfortable with. I, I'm just mm -hmm. curious to know, like, how does a relationship, you know, how does it how does it get to that point where couples start to what like at what point should couples start to say, OK, we might now I know I kind of answered asked that question before, but like we are heading down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. so. 
So again, if you're constantly seeing yourself in the same cycle, the same type of problems, the same type of arguments, they end the same way, they start the same way, same kind of topics over and over, there's no resolution, there's no compromise, you feel like there's no emotional safety, you feel like your feelings and your thoughts are not being validated, um, you feel uncomfortable opening up to your partner, um, and you feel this emotional distance that continues to get bigger and bigger within time, um, if there's this kind of feel of push and pull constantly, almost like it's a dance, where we, we it might seem like things are going really 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 well and almost perfect and then all of a sudden poof, we go mm. down and we dive really deeply and it's kind of like this constant roller coaster um yes all relationships have ups and downs but the the peaks and the valleys shouldn't be that pronounced right mm-hmm. it shouldn't be just a drastic drop off exactly and like from happy one week to like unhappy for the next six years <laughs> exactly <laughs> right Well, it shouldn't be like, you know, we have the significant other in a pedestal one week and then the next week we're ready to pack our bags. I definitely understand. Now, what does it look like when they get it together? Like how how does it look when when you see it like a couple that's thriving Mm -hmm. within um, the elements of a healthy relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, So the Gottmans actually have, you know, more than 20 years of research on what makes couples work and what do happy couples do. So they don't focus so much on the pathology or what's wrong with couples. They focus on the people that say that are happy. What are they doing? Mm Because we can learn from that, right? And basically, they created this idea of the good enough relationship. Because again, we can't expect perfection. We can't expect that someone is going to meet our needs 100% of the time. That's not realistic. That's not going to happen. And if we go in with that mindset, we're always going to feel disappointed. And all the relationships we're in are going to fall short from what we want. Um, So what they call the good enough relationship is basically a relationship where you feel um, that there's trust. And trust is not just that the other person is not going to cheat on you. Trust goes beyond that. It's really knowing that the other person has your best interest in mind, that no matter what, they have your back, that there's commitment. So things can get crazy and messy and chaotic, but they're not going to run. They're going to stay. They're not going to jump ship. They're going to stay and they're going to stay within the mess and help, you know, you're going to help each other get out of the mess together. Right. There has to be a sense of safety. So again, if you feel like your physical safety is compromised, that's a problem. There has to be a sense of of safety within the relationship. Then there also has to be that friendship like you were talking about earlier. Um, And that friendship truly means how well do you know each other? How involved are you in each other's life besides the bedroom? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah. So do you know who that person's um, fam- favorite family member is? Um, mm-hmm. Do you know what maybe their worst childhood experience was? Do you know what their dreams and ambitions for the future are? Do you have like inside jokes together? That kind of stuff is what we what we mean. And, and that friendship is really foundational for everything else. When the friendship is lacking, you're going to see problems in other areas. There also has to be this kind of sense of fondness and admiration. Right. It's not that you put someone in a pedestal and you think that they're perfect and that they're unfollowable, but it's truly knowing that, you know, despite that people have um, their imperfections, overall, it's someone that you admire and that you feel fond of and that you're proud to kind of show off and say like, hey, this is my partner. 
right? And so if you're not feeling that way or you're not expressing that, that's also going to create issues within the relationship. So in a good relationship, partners are able to um, give each other positive feedback and they're able um, to compliment each other on a regular basis. And it's something that is genuine and authentic. They also have a positive perspective on themselves as individuals and themselves as a couple and their relationship. So um, they don't think they're, you know, they're faulty or they're damaged or they're unlovable. They believe that they're worthy of love. They believe that they're worthy of being in a healthy relationship. Um, and they believe that they have a healthy relationship. They believe that as a couple, they're a strong unit. And then again, there's going to be difficult times and difficult seasons that they're going to have um, to face, but that they're going to get to the other side even stronger, right. right? And so again, that mindset that we have about relationships and about ourselves is going to be what attracts people to us. And it's also going to be how we interact with these people, the framework that we're coming from. Um, and then they're okay with conflict. They're not afraid of conflict. Conflict is always going to be there. Again, the Gottman research states that 69% of problems that couples face are not resolvable. They can only be arrived to compromise. We can negotiate, but there's not a hundred percent solution to it. I mean, a lot of it has to do with like finances, in-laws, parenting styles, and those kind of things are things that you talk about over and over and kind of come to compromises, but are not things that completely go away or can be resolved. So we can't be afraid of conflict and we know we need to know how to fight fair in a way that we're trying to come to a resolution, but not hold to what we believe is our truth with your life because mm -hmm. at that point um you know it becomes a dictatorship and it doesn't become a place where there's emotional safety and we can really navigate conflict so again we're trying to lean in with curiosity and we're trying to fight fair and we're trying to know that the other person might also be right mm -hmm. i might be right they might be right as well and then once we kind of arrive you know once we're comfortable with that with conflict and we have everything else then we want to create rituals that continue to bond us because life can get messy. And sometimes what brings couples apart is not issues within them, it's issues outside of them. Right. So the stressors like money, family, um, health issues, just outside things that affect the time and the quality of time that a couple can spend together. And so you want to create rituals that allow you to bond, whether that is having dinners together, having a date night a week, whatever the case might be, so that you can continue to nurture um, that bond that you've created. Because that bond can dissolve itself if, if we nurture it. It's like a plant. We need to water it. Mm -hmm. um, our relationship is a very much living organism that takes effort and, and needs to be nurtured consistently. And then you want to create a life or a culture in which you help each other be the best person you can be. Um, and you kind of help each other um, be able to achieve the goals and dreams that they have whether it's career-wise, whether it's in their personal life, whatever that might look like, I want to know what it is, those big dreams and big goals that my significant other has. Mm. They need to know what my big goals and, and dreams are. And then we work with each other to help that happen, to help that become reality. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot to that. And you, and you have, now, like you said, don't be an emotional dictator and don't just yes. know, <laughs> like, don't just be so... Um, familiar with your person with your significant other in the bedroom you know everything they want in the bedroom but outside of the mm -hmm. bedroom you barely know each other mm -hmm. you know um and so that that runs that, that a lot of couples have that problem 
And I'm glad that you mentioned that because there's actually recent research that came out from kind of the attachment perspective. So we're kind of going back and forth, but um, from the attachment perspective, that actually says that for long lasting um, sexual relationships or or satisfaction in sexual relationships, there has to be that emotional bond that's an essential component. And that is true both for men and for women. Um, So the sex might be great at first when there's not that emotional component, but over time, it's going to get boring mm-hmm. and it's not going to be as exciting unless we continue to have that emotional bond there you go my goodness uh <laughs> so i mean but you there's so much more that we can talk about you know <laughs> and, and <laughs> we could go on and on mm-hmm. but um i want you to just talk about a little bit about your upcoming workshop that you have coming up on um this this month yes yeah, so let me actually pick up the flyer so that i give you all the information correctly. Um, but yes, it's called Within Our Reach and it's a relationship enhance- enhancement workshop for couples. Um, what this means is that it's not therapy. It's it's a weekend event, one-time weekend event. Um, it's not necessarily for a couple whose relationship is crumbling, but it's more so for committed couples that want to enhance their relationship, um, who realize that maybe they're not communicating as well, that maybe there are certain issues that they're getting stuck in, and that they want to have those tools to improve their relationship. Maybe they've been disconnecting a little bit, and they want to take this extra time um, to really focus on their relationships, focus on expressing their needs, that kind of stuff. Um, So that's going to be taking place on Saturday and Sunday, February 23rd and 24th. On Saturday, it will be from 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And on Sunday, from 9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. So it's going to be somewhere around like 10 hours of intense kind of relationship boot camp. Um, And we're going to be touching on a lot of different topics, but we're going to really be um, kind of driving home what are the main pillars for a healthy relationship, um, the difference between deciding and sliding. And so again, being intentional, we can slide into a lot of things with like Valentine's coming up. Um, when we see our, our friends getting married or having babies, buying houses, we're like, wait, we want to do that too. Right? right. And so we can slide into a lot of these things because we want to have what other people seem to have. And I think social media plays such a big role in that. Right. Um, but we lack that intention in making this these decisions and so you know it's important to be intentional i think about everything in your life but especially about your relationship and where that's going um, we're going to talk about bringing fun back into the relationship which is something that oftentimes can be lost again in the midst of things as relationships as you grow into a relationship there's these other outside factors that kind of pull you from all different ways um, the fun can be the first thing to go. So we're going to talk about bringing fun back into the relationship. We're going to talk about healthy communication skills because, again, conflict is always going to be there. But it's really about how we go about conflict and how we fight in a healthy way that actually helps us become stronger together. Um, we're going to talk about how to regulate our own emotions so that they don't get in the way when we're trying to interact with our significant other or we're in the midst of conflict. Um, and we're also going to talk about how to develop these new traditions or these new rituals that bond us together. Those are some of the topics that we're going to be um, bringing up. And again, um, this is open to committed couples 18 and over. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be in a 25-year relationship. Um, you might be recently engaged and you know, kind of want to start things with on the right foot. Um, you might be newlyweds, you might be new parents and kind of going through this life transition together um, and, and kind of want to have more tools now that it's not just YouTube, but you have someone else, a baby involved, 
and all of this. Um, so this is really open to any any committed couple um, 18 and over. Um, and if you're if you're interested in participating, um, you can definitely um, check it out. You can find us on Eventbrite if you put within our reach relationship enhancement workshop for couples. Um, it'll come up if you follow me as the Miami therapist. I have a link in my bio that will also take you to the Eventbrite link, um, and you can purchase online. Um, if you have any questions or any concerns about what what to expect and what this is going to be like. The Eventbrite link gives you a pretty detailed description, but I, I will also be more than happy to answer people's questions. Um, so they can email me at genesis at southmiamipsych.com um, or they can direct message me through um, Instagram as well, the Miami Therapist, and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions that people may have. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's how they can get in touch with you. Yes. Uh, the Miami Therapist, your website also, um, so you can get more information. Mm-hmm. Correct. SouthMiamiPsychologyGroup.com. Um, they can, again, email me at Genesis at SouthMiamiPsych.com, or they can call 305-662-2686. Once again, 305 662 2686. Um, the workshop will be located at the South Miami Psychology Group location, which is in Pinecrest, um, South Miami area. Perfect. Perfect. So that will um, conclude today's Genesis. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. You. you that's you <laughs> gave some amazing information. And, and if you take that and couple that with the workshop she has coming up. I believe that you can take your relationship to the next level. Like I said, she gave some amazing information. If you have any more questions for her or for myself, um, you can go on to Relationships and Chill on Instagram, relationshipsandchill.com to find out more information about what we do. And also, like I said, we want to thank our guest, Genesis Games, the Miami Therapist. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for, for sharing your information. And it was really truly a pleasure. You. Thank you very much. Well, you guys, that concludes today's show. We'll catch you guys next Monday. This has been Coach R. Anthony, Relationships and Chill, and we're out of here. Peace. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Chill. For more information on cultivating the relationship of your dreams, please follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Relationships and Chill or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Relationships and Chill TV. You can also visit our website at www.relationshipsandchill.com. Together, let's make relationships great again.